0: All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today we have episode 296. Today we're going to answer some great listener questions we got recently. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and dive in. So here we go. Hi, Andrew and Dave. Firstly, I'd like to say a big thank you to both of you for the great advice and explanations you provide on your podcast. I have wanted to learn more about investing and the stock market for a long time, and I recently discovered your podcast and already feel like I've acquired a lot of useful information. When you talk about dollar cost averaging, I get the theory behind it and it all totally makes sense. But what I'd like to know is, do you only ever put 150 into a hundred into one company? And then are you buying stock in a different company each month? Or do you go back and invest a further 150 into companies you already own stock in some months and not invest in new companies that months? Thanks in advance, Emma. So this is a great question, kind of covers a couple different ideas, dollar cost averaging as well as kind of portfolio construction management, however you want to put that. So Sir Andrew, would you like to take the first stab at answering this?
1: Yeah, I will. So thanks, Emma, for listening and for writing in. Dollar cost averaging, if you're a first time listener, it's basically just putting the same amount of money every month. And that works really well because the stock market goes up and down. And so you can't really time when is a good time to buy. So if you're just always putting money in over the long run, you're going to do really, really well in the stock market. As far as how to apply that versus new companies or companies you already have, personally, I'm always looking at what's the best opportunity at any given point in time. And then I'm also trying to balance that with how much do I actually know about a company and how much is out of my control? So I've said in the past where I made a mistake years ago where I was really excited about a company called Newell Brands, NWL, and I was so excited because it was so cheap that I bought it three months in a row. And I felt great about it until one day they came out saying, oh, by the way, we wasted like $8 billion and so we're taking an $8 billion loss on money that we used to acquire a company you know, several years ago. So that ended up being a really poor idea, even though I thought it was a great idea. And so you kind of want to balance between being diversified and finding whatever the best opportunity is. And so that's why when I'm looking at what the opportunities are, I'm going to put money where the best opportunity is while also balancing it with the idea that some companies might not go as you planned. And so you want to not put this... All your money in the same company over and over and over again. That's how I broadly, on a framework basis, try to think about dollar cost averaging. How do you apply it for yourself?
0: Along the same lines, I have noticed for me that instead of as I've built my portfolio up, so as I get closer to the amount that I'd like to own in the 20 to 25 company range give or take, I noticed that instead of looking for new opportunities, I look for opportunities within what I already have. And so I still will put the same amount of money in every month, but my, I guess, decision-making changes a little bit because as you build up the portfolio, you know, it's, I think it's natural and I certainly fall into this category. You kind of fall in love with half of your portfolio and the other half you moderately hate or outright hate <laughs> and you want to replace them. And so it kind of depends on where you are in the evolution of it. And you will sometimes kind of go back and forth on whether you want to keep one that you have, or we want to you know, add more to it, water this flower as opposed to watering this weed kind of thing. But I found as I get closer, I reduce the time I try to spend trying to find the brand new shiny thing and try to see if I can, you know, build up the portfolio. And sometimes too, like for me, I've noticed that I got a little heavy in the payments. And so I'm trying to build up the other part of the portfolio to kind of counterbalance the heavy focus I had on the payment section there for a while. And so Andrew has been a big help with that because he's had some fantastic companies he's picked in his e-letter over the last six, eight months, a long time. But in particular, there have been some really like superstars that he's picked that I've been like... Hmm and been super excited about and those that helps me dollar cost average because i find great companies that kind of help build out my portfolio but i think everybody's going to have a different way of doing it but irregardless, i put 150 dollars in every month and i actually put in 200 dollars but i do that and then i try to find different things within my portfolio to kind of build that portfolio up and i'll i'll balance back and forth so nothing gets to be <laughs> 57% of my portfolio and then I have other smaller ones. So I try to build everything up. So it's somewhat even weighted or ish, as much as I can, and then kind of go from there. So I hope that kinda of, does that help answer that question? Yeah, I think so. It's
1: certainly a balancing act.
0: Yeah, it's certainly do you kind of do the balancing act as well?
1: It's interesting because I think the market will give you different opportunities at different times. So while on one hand, you want to kind of have a system and you want to follow it as much as you can, sometimes you have to be flexible with the fact that the market can give you a really good opportunity. So I just talked about my framework of not putting a bunch of money into one idea all at the same time. And then last month, I sold four stocks to put it into one stock that I had just bought three months ago. So it really depends on what the market's giving you, but also following a general framework.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's probably, maybe we should double click on that a little bit because I think that's an important idea. I think sometimes people feel like they have to buy something new every month because they have to. And they're in essence a little bit forcing the action as opposed to taking what the market gives you. Because like you just said, there are going to be times where you're going to have opportunities here and opportunities there, but you may not in something else that you really want. Sometimes your portfolio is going to be the place that you're going to find the best opportunities because the market may beat some of those down, for example, and give you an opportunity to buy it even at a better price than you originally purchased it at. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
1: Yeah, for
0: sure. All right. We'll move on to the next question then. My name is Jimmy, and I listen to your podcast for 10 hours a day at work every day. And in three weeks, I've listened to over 60 of them. That is amazing, Jimmy. He's a beginner, and I still don't know much when it comes to anything other than picking my own personal dividend stocks. My employer has a 3% matching 401k with Vanguard. The problem I have is I can't find a way to investigate any of the options they gave me to choose for my investments. All I have is the name of each selection, which I have a screenshot of, to try and figure out what is what. I'm trying to find the dividend stocks to invest in with a margin of safety, but I don't know which of their options is what. Thank you for everything you can do to help me figure out what this means. So, Andrew, do you want to take a first stab here at ha- trying to help Jimmy out?
1: I mean, the only thing I can feel like I really add is not every 401k option is going to be the same. Every- Every employer has different 401k plans, and those 401k plans might give you a world is your oyster kind of selection where you can buy anything in there. And some of them might give you just a chef's curated, here are five things you can invest in, and you have to pick between those. So if you're not seeing that it's very obvious that you can buy different individual companies inside your 401k, I'm going to guess that they just give you a small curated list. And you just have to pick between those.
0: I was just helping my future and daughter-in-law set up her 401k for her new job. And they had six choices. That was it. And it wasn't real broad and it was you know very, very generic. And I remember when I worked at Wells Fargo, we probably had 30. So we had a lot more options to choose from. And so it was a little easier to kind of decide what would be the best investments for him. I guess one of the questions he was asking is how would he, what could he do to maybe help educate himself a little bit on what it is that they're offering at Vanguard? Like what his options are as far as like specifics within that particular basket of funds.
1: I mean, I don't personally use Vanguard, but I know. A ton of people who use it are happy with it and they're very smart investors. So my guess would be either find one of them and like find their blogs or just go on Vanguard's website. I would imagine I mean, do they have even somebody you can call at Vanguard?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I have never done this, so I can't say for sure that they do this, but I'm sure they have. His company will have an HR person that would they won't give them the answers, unfortunately, but he could they could at least guide him to Vanguard to help them kind of narrow down his choices and what it is is going on with those. I would also imagine that they would have at Vanguard, if his 401k is not, like if his HR is not giving him this information, they should have a prospectus at Vanguard that he would be able to look at and get more particulars on what is in any of the funds that he's being able to choose from. It may not be exactly specific but it could probably get you in the ballpark to help you figure out exactly what it is that he wants to know to help him choose all that stuff. That'd be my suggestion anyway.
1: Yeah, that's good advice. Is there... Maybe we can answer for somebody who's having trouble with their 401k. Is there a generic strategy or generic thing that a lot of people would do well in to pick across a lot of different 401k options? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily like ordering steak versus chicken. I mean you go with one of those and it's taste and you'll be full with investments. It's like you, you will have money or you won't have money. So Mm -hmm. how, you know, are there any universal rules we can have with investment choices? Understanding that 401ks can differ from company to company. Is there a universal answer to some of that?
0: Well, I guess the first thing that pops into my mind and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the best choice would be to look for something that either encompasses the S and P 500 or something that's a total market kind of fund. And I think both of those, I think, would be great first options or even only option for a lot of people because it automatically would give you a measure of diversity. It would automatically give you a measure of growth and it would automatically give you kind of a version of kind of what's going on with the stock market and everything. And just to kind of keep you investing and also getting good returns without having to do a lot of work and you aren't going to have to worry about so much about whether I put this company versus this company or should I, you know, should I have this much in this fund and this much in this fund? And if that's Something that doesn't, A doesn't float your boat. B, you don't have an opportunity to choose different things. Kind of like my uh, future daughter in law, you know, that's what I put her in. So I suggested she use was that they had an S and P, a fund that matched the S and P 500. I was like, perfect. Done. We're done. And it doesn't have to be hard. (laughs) It doesn't, we don't get style points at the end because of the complexity of our investments. It's about what kind of returns you get. You know, how well did, were you consistent? doing it. And that's really what it comes down to. And that's what a 401k does best.
1: 100%, 100%. And then just for the absolute beginner, the reason why the S&P is a good choice is? Uh,
0: in my opinion, the S&P 500 is a good choice because it gives you a broad range of a lot of the best companies in the United States and arguably the world. And it gives you diversification, which means that you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. You, the S&P 500 covers everything from banks to tech to food to swimming pools to just about anything you can think of. So it gives you a wide range of opportunities to invest across a broad swath of different companies. And you get to participate in the, the future growth of the United States and Not to be U.S.-centric, but to be U.S.-centric, that's a great place to be. So that's, I guess that would be my suggestion. What are your thoughts? That's it. Mic drop. Okay. (laughs) Mic drop. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to the next one then. So hello. First off, great content on the podcast. Learning so much. But for my question, I have only been following the monthly dividend picks for a little over a year now. For this month's selection, there is a large position to be bought based on the sale of older positions being closed. How would I go about sizing properly if I did not own any of them to be sold? Thanks, Seth. So this is a great question, and this is for you, Sir Andrew. I
1: guess I was just talking about this earlier, right? So we're almost extending that dollar-cost averaging question. So, uh, yeah, again, background, I had four stocks. They have been in our podcast therapy for a while I i know we talked about target recently i've talked about Domino's, ea and then another company step in so those stocks are gone and then i've loaded that up into a new position that i feel they have a huge runway mm-hmm. and it's really cheap so even if they don't execute like they're hoping it's still going to be a good investment earn good returns and oh by the way the dividend yield's like five and a half and they're not Diluting at all. So that's, it's not going to be hard to get good returns there. And in an industry that everybody uses this technology every single day. So that's what I've done. And this person's asking, Seth is asking, you know, what do I do if I can't follow along? And, you know, obviously we can't give personalized advice because this is an educational podcast. But what I will say is if you're building a portfolio, and you're not in the same stage as Dave and I, where we have full portfolios that we built over several years. If you're just starting a portfolio, maybe this is your sixth stock, seventh stock, then my number one priority at that stage is just to build up and get diversification over time and not necessarily worry about, like you were saying, Dave, like how much needs to be in here and how much needs to be in there. Because if you're starting and you have three stocks and then you're going to add a stock, it's a fourth stock. That's still like 25% of your portfolio. in at each company, that's a lot. Those are big positions. So if it was me and I was starting over and this was like my, let's say, sixth month, 10th month of building a portfolio, I would just keep building with each new pick. And then over time, that's going to naturally diversify. And then I can guarantee you that's not going to be the last fat pitch we swing at. We'll have more in the future. And then at that point, you can decide that maybe there are businesses that I've moved on from and you're going to sell those or maybe a businesses that you just, for whatever reason, want to sell and aren't convicted about anyway. That's kind of how I would look at it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I guess a question that pops into my head would be for a hypothetical. Let's say that Seth has seven companies in his portfolio now and he wants to add the new one, eighth. Would you recommend that he sizes it as large as you're recommending sizing it, or would you recommend he size it as a at a normal, let's say one eighth of his portfolio kind of thing? And then in the future, if he wants to, as we were saying, kind of water the flowers, he could come back and, and add more to that at that time.
1: Ooh, asking the tough ones. I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is my biggest position in several years. So if it was You know, if I was telling my little brother what to do, I would say I would make this one bigger because the fact of the matter is like we were saying, the market's going to give us what it's going to give us. So we're not always going to have this screaming deal in front of us. So I would not just treat it like any other stock. I would make it a bigger position than normal. But what that actual number is, I can't give a good answer. And I would say like I wouldn't want it to be something like 25 or 30 percent. Right now, because if Andrew's doing 10, 12, 13% of his portfolio, and then I'm going to do 25%, that's a lot more risk than Andrew's taking. Mm-hmm. So I would use my portfolio as a signal, but then you also have to apply it to your own individual situation. And I guess that's what makes this unique is because we have mm-hmm. investors that are all different stages of building a portfolio, trying to follow a plan. And so the portfolio is there to model, but I would try not to take it so literally and be worried like, oh, I can't sell four stocks. Think of the percentages of a portfolio, not so much the number of stocks or Mm -hmm. what I'm selling.
0: Right. I guess one thing that kind of, another thing that pops into my head too is the, I think people need to understand when you're building a portfolio that we're talking about living machines, the companies that we're buying are going to, expand, contract as far as their prices go, which is going to impact the the sizing in the portfolio. And so it's never going to be, you know, a 10, a 10, a 10, a 10. It, It could be, you know, nine this month and it could be eight this month and it could be 11 the next month, one company. And I mean, it can fluctuate. And so and as companies, especially as your portfolio is smaller, in other words, by number wise, as each individual investment continues to perform or even outperform and does really, really well, then that's going to naturally grow to be a bigger portion of the portfolio. But as you add more companies to the portfolio, that sizing will shrink because you're adding more numbers to the portfolio and it'll help even out the, the sizing of the portfolio. Uh, Warren Buffett owns Apple, which is in the 50% range, if not more of his portfolio. And that's a little nuts, but, <laughs> but he's Warren Buffett and he can do it. He has the stomach to handle that. I don't, and Dave does not. So it's just kind of continuing down to the portfolio sizing idea. Is there any point that you would start to maybe trim? Like if it got to 20, 25%, for example, just as a hypothetical, is that something where you'd maybe start thinking about trimming? And this is when you, Keep in mind, this is when the portfolio is kind of more fully realized. If you're just starting out, this is not something we would recommend.
1: Yeah, good context. I felt like we dealt with this with a previous episode from a listener who said NVIDIA had made up, was it 25, 30, or was it 40 or 50? Yeah, somewhere in that range. I can't remember the specifics, but it was high enough where I said that would make me uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say things like that is if you think about having 50% of your portfolio in one company, if that company, let's say it this way. So stocks will all drop and they'll drop a lot in bear markets and recessions, things like that. But the amount they drop can depend on what kind of stock you have. So if you have like a early stage IPO company, you could see those stocks drop 80, 85, 90, 95%, which that turns a hundred bucks into like $5. If you flip the math on that to turn $5 back into a hundred, you'd have to 20 times your money. And I don't know where you can find those laying around very easily. So would I put 50% of an IPO stock, you know, would I put an IPO stock as 50% of my portfolio? Absolutely not. Because if it turns a hundred dollars into $5, I've turned, you know, and I have a portfolio of $200. I've basically, I've lost almost half of my portfolio, which is very hard to come back from. And so that math works as you kind of move down the stage of different types of stocks. Probably have different stocks that won't drop as much, but they all, even like you've said before, even Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's stock, his company, that stock has dropped by 50%. During some of the worst market conditions. And his is like safe, great businesses, like steady cash flows, like as safe and steady as you can get. And even that stock went down 50%. So you have to keep that in mind that there's that risk there and you don't want to put too much of your portfolio. And that's why I say 40%, 50% is just a really big position, no matter what the stock is. So When you say, well, what about 25%? Now we're starting to get on a sliding scale. And I obviously wouldn't want to make a definitive answer or I'm in that situation. But I would say the higher I get on the sliding scale, the bigger the position, the more likely I'll probably trim at some point. Because again, you just want to have all your eggs in one basket. Because if I have something that 10x but then it goes to zero, guess what? <laughs> the fact that I went to 10x doesn't matter because now it's at zero. And right. any stock can go to zero. So yeah. I think it's a sliding scale. I would be curious if you have a different approach.
0: No, I probably I haven't had to worry about this yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to at some point and yeah. then I can cross that bridge when I get there. But you know, my initial feeling is is that I would try really hard to let the winners run and do that as much as I can while trying to offset that being a bigger part of my portfolio. And some of it's going to depend on timing too. So if you have company A that's doing awesome and really, really running up in in stock price and whatnot, and you have other opportunities in your portfolio, you can easily put money into those other p- parts of your portfolio that would help kind of counterbalance the percentage wise and allow that bigger portion of the company to continue to run. And that's one way that I would probably counteract that. The opposite of that, though, is if I have company A that's doing amazing and the rest of the portfolio is is struggling and the market is struggling, then it's probably going to have to be a harder conversation about what do I do? Do I put more money into these companies because they're better opportunities or do I, and just continue to let that run up? I don't know. It would probably have to be a bit of a company by company basis. There are so many factors that would go into it. Like, you know, not that this is unfortunately going to be a case, but if Berkshire Hathaway is still doing awesome 10, 20 years, I hope they were going to, but after Buffett and Munger are no longer part of the company, there's a big risk. There's a big unknown with that. But let's say that Charlie and Warren were sixty, and I could invest with them in another twenty, thirty years, and let the company run up to thirty, forty percent of the company. I may have a different opinion on that. So I think you know, like most things in finance, it's going to depend. <laughs> yeah, and I'm
1: glad you talked about the the different companies too. Part part of the the trimming conversation is: Do you have something to put that money into? Right. And if the market's gonna give us what it's gonna give us, it's not always gonna give us what we want. Right. So I also would not just trim, just trim, unless mm-hmm. we're literally talking about a stock that's like fifty percent of my portfolio or something.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I think those are I think those are all important ideas to keep in context of kind of the overall construction of your portfolio and, and making sure that you know things are staying where you want them to stay, but you're still getting the returns that you want to get. And you know those are some of the the harder choices that you have to make along the way sometimes. All right, so we got one last question here. So we got, hello, in your podcast, I have heard that you are sharing some insights about investing through a newsletter. I would be happy if you would register my email to the mailing list. So Andrew, you want to take that last one there?
1: Yeah, if you want to subscribe to our newsletter, we're talking about the free one where we give tips every week. Mm-hmm. You can just go to stockmarketpdf.com. That'll get you signed up on our free newsletter. Dave has this awesome segment he calls Tuesday Nuggets, and he's got, I feel like Nuggets is an understatement because they're more like big chunks of gold, but (laughs) you'll have, you know, some of the best writing that you can find on the internet at any given time, some of the best Twitter threads, just like if you're looking to expand your knowledge and you want it quickly on a weekly basis, the Nuggets is the place to be. So you can go to stock market PDF and you'll get those Tuesday Nuggets.
0: Yep. Awesome. Yep. All right. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up our show for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show today. If you would, kindly consider giving us a review. It greatly helps our show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials we've created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lastly, continue growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, we'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope
1: you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time.